Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, after so many requests, we have back on the show today, Billy Carson. And last time we spoke, Billy and I spoke about ancient civilizations, the Emerald Tablets of Thos, Atlantis, and so much more. Well, in this conversation, we go deeper down the rabbit hole of lost civilizations, the origins of the Catholic Church, the Vatican, and so, so much more. This one is going to blow your mind, guys. So without any further ado, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Billy Carson. How you doing, Billy? Hey. Great. Look, great to be back. Thank you for having me back on your amazing show. Thank you so much for coming back, brother. I mean, our last conversation uh, broke over a million. I think it's at 1.2 million right now. So people wow. like you and I having a conversation. So I think we, I think we booked this before that. We were just like, we're like, yes. I mean, we got to keep talking. Uh, but yeah. then it, it kind of blew up, man. So uh, people are excited. This is really mm. great. We're getting this information out there. Yes. Listen, that's the most important thing that people begin to hear this information so that they can become researchers on their own and also digest it, discern it, and decide, you know, for themselves based on the information given. You know, how do they feel about it? How does it make them feel? And and uh, and what enlightenment can they get out of it? So this is great, man. So since last our convert, since last time we had our conversation, I had the wonderful opportunity to fly over to Europe and spend a little time in Italy. Uh, so the, too much gelato, first of all, and way too much cappuccino and and uh, all sorts of deliciousness over there. But while I was there, I took the opportunity to visit the Vatican and Vatican City. And it was a really eye-opening experience because uh, I went to Vatican Museum, which is awe-inspiring is not even the word to use. It was, there's so much stuff that they have in that Mm -hmm. museum. It's for people, if you've never been there, I'm sure I'm assuming you have, there's so many sculptures that they have that they literally just pile them next to, like it's like room after room of them. They're just next to each other. Like normally, like one of those pieces would be the centerpiece of another museum. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have an embarrassment of riches. And that's the words that was embarrassment of riches. Uh, you're going there like, oh, the yeah. Raphael did that. And oh, Donatello did that. Oh, Michelangelo did that dome. And you're mm-hmm. like, and then you get yeah. to the Sistine Chapel. I was exhausted by the time I got to the Sistine Chapel. I was just like, what it was, oh, nice. Because <laughs> it's so yeah. much. It's it 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 is it started to open my eyes right away. I'm like, wow, how do these, how did they get all of this stuff? And it's not just all like 
Christian stuff, Egyptian, yeah, um, things from Mesopotamia. Um, I, I mean, it's in, insane. And then you walk into St. Peter's Basilica, and you're just in awe. It's the biggest church I've yeah. ever been in, and it's just like every uh, corner. You just think, and every corner there's like masterpieces from every like mm-hmm. Michelangelo, Donatello, all these people, and you know, oh, there's the, there's the La Pietra, and you're looking at all that stuff. And I don't know if you've had this opportunity. Did you go underground into the uh, catacombs? No, I didn't do the catacombs there. I did the catacombs in uh, Alexandria, but I didn't do the catacombs in Rome. So the so the catacombs, no, the catacombs in Saint Peter's is where the where all the mm-hmm. popes are. Yeah. So I went I went down to that area and all the popes are there and I turned a corner mm. and it's St. Peter's resting space. <laughs> like it's the apostles yeah, apostle Peter. It was insane. So yeah. as I was going through all of this, the main thing I, I thought myself was, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is that this has little to do with Jesus. This entire oh, very little. This entire <laughs> thing has such little to do with Jesus's teachings, Jesus Christ, the yeah. man, and has so much to do about their own power, their own influence, and maintaining yeah. that power and, and influence right. over the world. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you hit it on the head. So, you know, the Catholic religion has literally nothing to do with truthfully uh, achieving a higher sense of consciousness or Christ consciousness. It's really all about them. And even like, for example, the Pope or the priest of the Catholic Church, wherever you are in the world, that's supposed to be the conduit. That's supposed to be God walking in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we know that we are all gods and God is us, but they take it to another level where they truly, truthfully believe that they're the actual creator of the universe walking around uh, in, a, in, in a mindset of domination, not collaboration. And so that's where it goes really south. And then a lot of their rules and laws and their uh, their traditions are just uh, all about, you know, generating revenue and money. Uh, for example, you know, you, you go in and you, you admit that you did something wrong. And now they're going, well, you got to pay a penance to this. And you pay these, you pay this penance and that's supposed to, you know, rid you of your sin. So from the mindset that they've established is, oh, I can go out here, I can drink, I can hang out, I can I can have sex with anybody I want outside of marriage. I can violate all the rules of quote unquote Christianity as long as I come in here and, and talk to this guy behind this invisible box and then I can just uh, and give pay some money and all of my sins will be absolved and I'm good to go and do it all over again. So I can do this once a week. So now I don't have to answer for any of my consequences. I can literally run rough and ragged. I can run, you know, like this wild, wild west on the streets. And then I can curse people out, whatever I want. And I can just go and and talk to this guy. So they've uh, created a system where they generate revenue and money off of beguiling people into thinking that they can actually absolve themselves of their own responsibility of their own actions by paying this extra money out. Just admitting something to somebody behind a box. You want in another example was I was in uh, Naples and I went to the catacombs in Naples, one of the catacombs there, and I was talking to the guide, and I go, well, who own, like what is this? Like who owns this? And they're like, oh, anything Christian found in Italy, mm-hmm. it's automatically property of the Vatican. If it, they just yep. discovered it, it's automatic if it's property. Yep. So when they found it, and this is so interesting, when they found it. Um, they called up the Vatican, like, hey, we found these catacombs. Uh, you know, we want to kind of open it up to the public and let people tour. 
And they're like, yeah, 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 sure, do whatever you want. That's fine. You know, no problem. And then a couple of years later, the Vatican's like, oh, they're making some money. So then they went back to him. This is straight from the this is straight from the guide. He goes, yeah, the Vatican. Now we have to pay because, oh, by the way, all the money that is made from the catacombs tickets goes into social programs for the city of Naples, meaning after school mm-hmm. programs, uh, arts, yeah. things for schools and kids, and and, and social programs. So it's for everybody to know. Um, once the Vatican found out it needed money, they go, oh, okay, uh, since it's making money now, you need to pay us $3 million a year as a license and 50% of all ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, are you, are you, are you kidding? Yeah. And then when you walk around the Vatican City, you're just like, there's literally gold on the walls. Are, are, are you mm-hmm. nothing to do with Jesus? Yeah. Nothing. It's insane. It's insane. You see, the Vatican is it's its own private kingdom. Yeah, it's a it's so country. It's a country. Can, yeah, exactly. They create their own rules and regulations on the fly, and they can change a law or a rule tomorrow or in five minutes, and then everyone will have to abide by that. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? I got into a yeah. cab in uh, from Vatican City, going back to to uh, to the to where we were staying, and the the yeah. taxi driver, who's a local. He, we started talking about the Vatican, and boy, he did. He just started tearing them apart. They're like, you, they, we have to pay as Italian citizens. We have to pay them every year, even though we don't live in Vatican City. Uh, you've got to like, they get, they pay no taxes. They basically still control Italy yeah. by behind the scenes. They, there's, there's absolute power behind the scenes. Yeah. They're like, there was a. A girl that went missing in Vatican City. The parent, the family was still trying to find them. But once you're once you're there, it's gone. You're you're just gone. It was a, it it's was over. fascinating how much power that that place has. And let's not even talk about. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The archives, the yeah, archives yeah. where the books, the knowledge that they have raped and pillaged for centuries from Alexandria, before, either before or after it was you know going through its thing, and yeah. all the libraries. What do you what have you learned about what is in the archives? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. In the archives at the Vatican, first of all, it's about five miles of archives underground mm-hmm. and, and very, very uh, secure access. In other words, you can't just go, oh, I'm going to go check out the archives on the ground. No, you have to be a, a, a security cleared, almost top secret cleared based on their standards to get down there. Uh, but they have in there so many incredible discoveries, so much knowledge and wisdom that have been stolen, literally stolen from all around the world. And of course, the Library of Alexandria, that was a book heist. The fire was a distraction. The real story of Alexandria, it was a book heist. It was a knowledge theft. They stole the knowledge. They left a few books burning here, and then they burned it down to the ground. But the vast majority of the knowledge and wisdom stored at Alexandria was siphoned off and taken to that underground, I call it an underground base at the Vatican. Down there also, according to even some Jesuits, are bones of actual, quote-unquote, alien beings, uh, information about... Uh, advanced beings that visited this planet, the Anunnaki, according to the Dogon, the Nomo, and the Sumerians, call them the Pantheon, call them the, the, the Anunnaki Pantheon out of Samaria. They call the Nitiru out of Africa. They had they have all these 
relics and artifacts of these particular people, even out of Greece. Uh, they have all this down there. They have information even out of Iraq that shows and proves that advanced races had lived on this planet long before this current civilization here exists. And we're talking about eons and eons ago, super highly advanced with technologies and capabilities of flight and everything else, weapons of war that existed. All that information is stored underneath the Vatican archives, along with some of the most incredible texts and books and inventions that ever existed on this planet. And they siphon it away and they're hoarding all of that wisdom and knowledge so that they can keep control and power and domination over the world. And guess what? It's working. So that's that was the, that was my next question. The reasoning for all this is if you control the information, you control the knowledge, there can't exactly. be if 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 the public is ignorant, it's much more mm -hmm. controllable. Yes. You know, if the public knew that long before uh, Jesus, long before Moses and all these people, you know, supposedly were even born or existed, that thousands of years before them, an advanced race lived on this planet built an Atlantean global civilization, probably Atlantean interplanetary civilization that had capability of space flight and everything else, and that they most likely genetically modified the existing hominids, which then became Homo sapien sapien, in order to put us all in slavery and make us do the workload for them. If, we, if they knew that, those stories and those tales from the Sumerian tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas, Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of Going Forth by Day, aka the Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, you know, the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, the Epic of Atrahasis, and if all the, if they, the myth of Adapa, if I do it, all these texts predominantly made up the majority of the Bible, mm -hmm. then we would be like, well, what are you guys preaching to us? This is all fake. This is all lies. And we know that in the Emerald Tablets, you know, which is my book companion with the Emerald Tablets, that the majority of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament come directly from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which are 36, 38,000-year-old teachings. So they must control and hide and secure evidence of this information and this knowledge to keep people basically in this uh, level of ignorance where they can continue to control them and steal their money. Well, isn't the, you know what, and this is the weirdest thing, while I was driving around, you know, I went to Rome, I, I was staying in Rome when I went to Vatican City, and then I was down the street from the Colosseum, and I got to see the Colosseum, you see Roman, Rome is everywhere, like Rome, 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 Rome Roman, every stuff all over the place. And Man, I I don't want to sound ignorant, man, but it was the first time when I went to Vatican City and I connected it to Rome. I was like, wait a minute, Roman Catholic Church. I never connected Roman, as in like the Rome Empire, to Catholicism, yeah. even though it's always been called the Roman Catholic Church. I just never connected yeah. it. And that was the first time I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. Constantine. Oh, my God. that He's the one that created mm -hmm. the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And and, and yeah. they're the ones that sat down and like, okay, let's argue about what really Jesus is. And so they basically built up the mythology in the Council of Nicaea, right? Yes. The Council of Nicaea came together, built up the mythology. They added to the story. They took from a lot of ancient texts and tablets, and then they kind of curated this book, which they want to call it a canonized Bible, right? So they took right. from here, took from there, this tablet, that tablet, this scripture, that papyrus, this non-commodity piece, we like, we, oh, we like this coming out of out of this um text over here. And then they kind of just culminated together and then remixed it, put their own spin on it to make sure that slavery was approved and okay, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we want to add that in there. Got to make sure the slavery is approved, you know, because mm -hmm. people were enslaving each other since back and before the black slaves. I'm talking about in the ancient times, slaves were already going on. Slavery was already Egypt, going on. Yeah. Sure, it was, yeah. It's nothing new. 
Yeah. And then so you had that. And then, of course, we want to collect a lot of money. So they have to pay us. We got to make sure we got the money. You got to pay. You know what I'm saying? And you got to do the labor and you got to bring the offerings because we're our, we ourselves are not going to go out and hunt and, and, and grow farms and everything else. So you guys, you're going to have to bring these offerings to us. We want it already cooked. So make sure it's a burnt offering. <laughs> Make sure you drain the blood. Make sure it's healthy for us. And bring us your fresh, your first harvest, because we want the freshest fruit and the freshest vegetables. We don't want the stale stuff. Yes. We want your freshest wheat and the freshest breads. And so people would come down and bring everything to the church and give it all away, along with whatever money they had left. Uh, and these people would live like fat cats, literally, off of pimping the knowledge and understanding of what's going on and tricking people into believing that they had some access to divine power and knowledge when they were just really... Oh, high-level pimps is what I call them, man. And the people, you know, the ignorance of the people, you know, you almost can't blame them, but yet at the same time, it's like, how can you, how can so many masses well, of people stand up and fall for this? But I, you know, it happens. But also you got to remember the way that they went around, the way that the council of Nicaea put this in place with Rome and Rome said, we're now going to dominate the planet with this religion. Mm -hmm. So they combined their beliefs with the Christianity Right, because they felt like to keeping it separate was creating too much, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ang anger between the two sides, and everybody wanted to go head to head. So you know what? We're going to combine it. We'll add our stuff in with their stuff, and we'll make it a a national religion. Well, yeah, now, they were getting as we they taking were, over. Well, they were getting unruly, and Constancy said, "Look, I'll, I'll be unruly, Christian. Correct. I'll, I'll be Christian. I'll be Christian. Let's yeah. let's all do this, guys. I'll be Christian. <laughs> let's go over here. We'll put a pope yeah. up. The pope." He talks to God every day. Yeah. The bishops, they talk to right. God every few days. Uh, the the cardinals, they talk to him like maybe once a month, twice a month. And the priests right. talk to them every once in a while. But these is the, it's, yeah. it's an ordered thing. But, no, but we're with you guys because they were getting the Christians were starting to get a little out of hand. So they needed to control them. Yeah, they need to control. Them. So, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. That's the <laughs> mindset, right? Oh, we'll add some of our stuff in with theirs. We'll mix it all around. We'll remix it. But now here's the trick. As Rome was on its global escapade trying to dominate and take over the planet, everywhere they went, they would then instill and install this Christianity, this Catholic Christianity in those areas. But this is how they did it. People believed that Christianity was spread by love and the good news. And, and, and no, it was spread by rape, bloodshed, murdering and killing. And so when they came to your town, they literally would take your women and your children they would, you know, they would take the leader of that village or whatever. They would show that hey, you guys are going to bow down to us. You're going to follow this religion. You're going to speak our language. And they'll make an example out of somebody. And then everybody else would follow suit. And if they didn't, then they would say, okay, we're going to give you a lot of these torture devices. They would have the Pope's spear, all right, which is still in the museums right now. They, mm -hmm. which, I saw they would it. Stick that into a woman's personal parts mm -hmm. and it would explode mm -hmm. on the inside of her. They would have this triangular pyramid with a spire on top and it would reel a man up and down and let it go up into his back door over and over again until he died. Uh, and they had all these torture mechanisms, they tortured and killed over 80 million people over the course of 700 years under the, uh, under the order of the popes in order to spread love and peace and Christianity all around the planet. Mm -hmm. And so, but this is, you know, again, all with the authority of Rome. So this global conquest to spread this and collect money uh, was all done by bloodshed and, and torture, not by love and peace. So just as Jesus says, love thy neighbor and do unto others as you would do unto you, but make sure that you bring a check, cash, or Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> 
exactly. I, mean, I don't remember Jesus saying these things. Um, no. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's fascinating. You know, like you, you see all of this when you walk into, by the way, I, I don't know how many churches you, I walked into probably 30 churches cause they're everywhere in Italy. Like you can't every turn, everywhere you turn. Any, like there's a there's a huge church and then like a two blocks later there's another church and it's like there are churches everywhere and every single church I walked into, no matter how rinky dink it looked from the outside, you walk in masterpieces on the wall on the ceilings yeah. scrub it was no matter where you went, it was ma- nothing like here in the states. Here you walk into some churches and they're very humble and they're very there's no such thing as a humble church in Italy. It was no. just. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So as you as an an ignorant person from the field or from the country, and you walk at the St. Peter's Basilica and you don't understand anything, Mm -hmm. you have to believe God is here because it's just something Mm -hmm. so, so just, it's so, it's, it's so grand. So grand. And, you know, I, I consider myself a fairly educated person. And I walked in and I, you're just in awe. You're in mm-hmm. awe of it. So I could say, wow, if, if, if I didn't know better, mm-hmm. I, you could easily fall into this. I mean, it's, it's. Yes. And then let's not talk about the marketing campaign of hiring every great master artist of the last 500 yeah. years and commission <laughs> religious you know, that's why every time you go into a museum, it's always a real, generally speaking, always Jesus or some sort of religious depiction mm-hmm. because the Vatican paid yeah. for all of that. Right. Am I right? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. You know, even the depiction of Jesus oh. was switched over to the face that became the global popular face. That was actually Caesar Borgia, who was actually uh, one of the sons of an actual pope uh, and killed his own brother to try to take his place. Uh, this guy was just an evil, brutal, killing ruler. Uh, his father commissioned uh, the artist to paint him, his image, as the image of Jesus. And that image still propagates the planet till this very day. And so the image that a lot of people are praying to is not the Jesus that they think it is, but actually a natural born killer. <laughs> <laughs> and it is in, in that's true because, I mean, it, is, it was just propaganda. That was the propaganda yeah. of the day where these master master works of paintings and and yeah. you know frescoes and things like that that was the propaganda of the day that was the mm-hmm. art of that's all the only way they could get messages like this out there so because of yeah. this one artist um you have these images but generally speaking if you go back far enough i mean jesus didn't wasn't a white guy with blue eyes that doesn't no. make it, no. it, 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 it he, he yeah. just wasn't right no. yeah he wasn't a white guy with blue eyes if you read the description, he had bronze feet and, and he had curly, tight curly hair. I mean, so clearly you're talking about somebody that looks like they come from that region, which really is the northern tip of Africa, a.k.a. Arabia in that region. And I've been there, of course, now dozens of times. I mean, all those people, the people who are homegrown, they all look the same. Matter of fact, when I go there, they go, you my brother, you my brother. <laughs> you know? I say they want to sell me something. Of course, I'm your brother of, now. But, oh, yeah, but the of point, course. Of course. <laughs> but the point, <laughs> the point is, you get it. I mean, obviously, he wasn't a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes. But that's a depiction that took hold and took root and has been burnt into the minds. What a great marketing campaign. I mean, you want to talk about applied neuroscience. 
that that image is burnt into the brains of people before they even conceived. When they come out of the womb, they're looking for that image. So they did a great marketing and propaganda campaign with that image. They burnt it into the brains of people so deeply it's embedded in our DNA. Well, I mean, it's I mean, look at Santa Claus. I mean, the mm-hmm. image of Santa Claus was basically a marketing campaign from Coca-Cola. And that's the Santa Claus we all know and love. You know, that's the image that, you know, the jolly yeah. old man with the white, you know, the, with the with the big white beard. And that was just an image created by Coca-Cola. Am I, am I wrong with that? But that's but that's now propagated. So now that is the image of, quote unquote, St. Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It started off in, the, in actually in the UK with a gentleman and then Coca-Cola kind of adopted it and then enhanced it to what they're liking the way they wanted it to be a chubby guy it was first a skinny guy but it, they adopted it they enhanced it to what they wanted it to be but it took hold again like you said it's great it's great uh marketing great propaganda subliminal information subliminal messages and teachings and it, it just gets birthed into the into the genome and it passes on from generation to generation same thing happened with this jesus figure his name isn't even jesus his name was yeshua yeshua, yeshua. Okay? yeshua yeah. yeah yeah that's the actual name and so, but again, Jesus, the J is a new letter. It didn't even exist until recently. I mean, you know, so we're talking about, okay, what is really the name? Isus. When you look into the root word of that and you go back into some of the ancient tongues, you find out it's Hail Zeus. So people that are calling on the name of Jesus all the time, they're calling for help from Zeus, which is actually uh, a converted name from the Sumerian pantheon. So they're calling on Enlil is what they're calling calling on they're not calling on any son of the creator of the universe and this is why a lot of prayers don't actually work people don't understand the power of speech and then calling on names and, and the cymatic frequencies they create then when you're completely ignorant to what's what you're really saying it's no wonder why billions of prayers go up every single day all around the world but then again look at the state of the world on a daily basis you can clearly see that uh, if somebody has a positive outcome, more than likely it's just luck. You know, and I know this conversation will probably be upsetting to some. And like, you know, I'm a recovering Catholic. I've said I've been a recovering Catholic for quite some time. So I I lived and breathed this, went to Catholic school, had the nuns, the whole ball of wax. Um, and I just hope that this conversation just sparks an interest to investigate it for yourself. Nothing that we're saying here is not investigatable on, their own, on your own. And you can go out and look. Yep. And, and and read. I mean, just go even go to Wikipedia for God's sakes. You just read about the 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 Council of Nicaea. I mean, you just start reading it on Wikipedia, which isn't the perfect, you know, research right. thing, but still, basics on that. You're like, oh, wait a minute, this this is really what happened. Like, this is oh, so yeah. you know, it wasn't oh, so the Bible is not God's word. It was a bunch of dudes that got together and left out stuff like the Book of Enoch left out other things because yes. it didn't kind of work in there. The concept of reincarnation were left out because that doesn't work. Cause if you think you can come back, I really yep. can't control you as easily, you know, yep. all these little ideas, but you just have to do your own research. So I hope this sparks a little yeah. bit of, of uh, interest for people to and, do. Something. And I want to add one thing to this before we go on too. I want people to understand I'm not an atheist. I believe in a creator of the universe. Yeah, Because the quantum physics proves that we're living inside of a creation. There's no way to dispute that. There's no way to doubt it. We're living in a programmed uh, holographic light matrix. That is a method of use for this creation. But we are in this. It's created by an entity. I believe that there is a God. I don't I, I'm, I'm not. I just believe that the biblical version is not specifically talking about the creator of the universe. 
I believe those are the words of men about men that have manipulated it to be God. And actually, the word God in the Bible is mistranslated by accident on purpose. The original root word for that is God's with an S. And everywhere where you see God singular is actually supposed to have an S on the end. So there's so much going on. There's been tainted so much by man. Uh, you know, but but I do believe that there is a God. But again, you have to research everything that you believe in, especially if you're looking for this information to carry you into eternity. You should know every little tiny detail about it. You shouldn't just take it point in fact from somebody standing at a pulpit. You should be the expert on it yourself. After right. all, it is your own eternity. Right, obviously. Um, and, and then also, the you know, the problem that a lot of people have with just what you just said is that like, well, my parents told me. And that nice gentleman who's my priest told me, and you know my whole family. Go, yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, investigate for yourself and what makes what connects you better to to the Creator. If going to church every day with with a community to pray to a Creator that works for you, God bless. It's not hurting anybody else. Hey man, yeah. do do you? But if you are interested a little bit in these ideas try to investigate them yourself because it might not be pleasant. It wasn't for me when I first started going down these roads. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I started reading, you know, when I started reading Indian philosophies and um, just going around the world and just started listening to other religions, I'm like, well, they all can't be right. And they all can't be wrong. Like there has to be yeah. something here. And that's started the journey where I'm at today. But I hope that people yeah. um, take that, that we're not just bashing the Catholic church though it is bashable um, for a lot of the, the horrors that it has done in, in, in its existence. Um, I just want you to kind of realize what is really going on and shows like this and this information, the work you're doing, the work I'm doing is putting this information out there. So people could just start going. Hmm. And we're, by the way, we're not starting a revolution. People are leaving the church in droves. I mean, the whole priest thing with the abuse and, I mean, mm -hmm. it, they have a problem. And I don't think in, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think they'll be around in two, 300 years? You know, is it? it, it I seriously doubt it. No, no, they're, they're not. They can't be. Listen, there's too much. They've paid billions of dollars in settlements, billions in settlements for uh, pedophilia and mm -hmm. sexual uh, abuse. You, you can't persist along that path. Um, you know, and so <laughs> at the rate that they're going with what they're doing, they, they can't persist too much longer. They still, however, right now, hold a lot of power. I mean, even the governments of the world contact the Vatican before they go to war. A lot of people don't even know this. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They mm. contact to speak to the black pope, not a black man but a black pope, he wears the black garment, okay? He's called a super Jesuit with a sworn oath, a very special sworn oath that I've posted online many times. Maybe if we have time, when, another time we can read the entire oath that they have to read. Mm -hmm. It's pretty dark. It's a mm -hmm. pretty dark oath, and it comes directly from their, their information, so it's not fabricated or somebody made it up online. And what's interesting is the, the governments of the world, the superpowers of the world, they contact and get approval for the war from the super Jesuit black Pope. Now think about that kind of power. Think mm -hmm. about that level of power. People don't even know a black Pope exists. They don't even know what a black Pope is, but when you start looking it up and then research the oath that's taken, 
it is so dark, it actually, it'll make you feel sick on the inside. That's how dark it is. Now, let me ask you, we've talked a little bit about uh, pyramid, the the Great Pyramids and Egypt, Egypt's uh, temples and pyramids and things like that. Before we dive into a little bit more of that, have you studied anything in India? The temples and because that is the temples and the archaeological sites in India are not talked about that much in these conversations. It's always it's always Mesoamerica. It's always uh, you know uh, Great Pyramids, but even pyramids in Japan, in China, in other areas. Go back to Tepe, obviously now, but generally speaking, I don't hear a lot of conversations about India. But they have some remarkable temples, oh, archaeological sites, information in those temples. How they made some of those things is absolutely insane. So what information do you have about the Hindu or the Hindu temples or Indian temples and cities and archaeological? Yeah, I'm doing an amazing. I have a new TV show coming out called Anunnaki History on Forbidden Knowledge TV. Mm-hmm. And we're just in the beginning stages of filming. And one of the things that I'm doing in one of my episodes is I'm tying together uh, the the Kailash temples of India. The Kailash temple is literally a mountain that's carved from the outside going in. Oh, yeah. Okay? That's gorgeous. So as oh, yeah. you start from the outside, if the, if the first cut is off by one millimeter, you can't finish the structure to perfection. You can't finish the incredible openings and the reliefs and all the incredible designs mm-hmm. on the inner walls and the perfectly square. Window. You can't do it. And so this is this is evidence of some type of either super guided laser technique or whatever it is. But I'm going to document them. I'm going to look for the tool marks and I'm going to compare the Kailash temples to Petra Jordan, to Abu Simbel in Egypt, to uh, the Lalibela temples of Africa. They're all made with the same exact cutting technique and the same exact, I believe, cutting tool. Uh, and on any single one of those structures, you can't be one millimeter off when you start the first cut. And so I'm going to be documenting that and talking about that. But the, these temples in India are just, they're mind-blowing how they're created. The incredible attention to detail uh, from a lot of the carved rock <clears throat> carved rock, and a lot of the reliefs. Um, you know, again, these are, uh, in, in my personal opinion, some of them go back thousands of years. And I believe they're directly related to these Anunnaki people who created this Atlantean civilization. Depending on where they were on, in the world, they they had their own particular style, same construction technique, but their own style and look of how the reliefs and how the design work would go. And uh, and I believe that uh, India was a location where they definitely walked walked amongst men, uh, and they built some some of the most incredible structures that exist on the planet, like you said, hardly ever talked about. But I'm going there uh, next year to document these and uh, and pull the whole thing together and connect the dots. What is interesting about the, the, the sites that you're talking about, I know exactly which one you're talking about. And for people listening, it's literally imagine you built a temple, and, and, and temple is not even a word I would use for these things, and you carved it out of a mountain as one solid piece. So it's a solid piece. So I, I, I got to go see the David. That was one solid piece of marble he made the David out of. Mm. Okay. And that's impressive as hell. I mean, you mm. sit in front of the David and you go, Jesus, it's insane. Yeah. Now do that with a mountain and that every little thing has to be cut or carved perfectly because 
if you, you know, like some parts inside the temple, because there's you can walk inside these structures that have been carved out yeah. of the of, of the mountain. Imagine, I'm just trying to think, okay, so a dude starts carving up here and starts chiseling there and it's all perfect. And when they go inside, they start chiseling and they didn't go too far and bust a hole through the roof or anything like right. that. It's all perfect. And it looks, we couldn't do that today if we no. even tried. Everyone always talks about, can we build the no. pyramids today? You know, could you? I don't know. Probably not the way they did it. Not with that precise. Not that that kind of precise engineering. But this is literally impossible. Like this is not even. There's no technology today. Would you agree? There's like it doesn't exist. You could argue. You can maybe try to lift some twenty tons, eighty ton blocks and granite. You might be able to do the pyramids, and that's a big if. But this stuff, absolutely. And it's not just one of them. There. Yeah, I know. All over the day. It's a whole complex. It's a whole complex. Yes, it's a bunch of them. I mean, and it's like they did it because it was easy. You see, they did right. this because it was easy. Can you imagine the excavation process in today's world? How much mass of rock and stone where would need it? to be excavated? Right. And where is it now? Just that in itself is a mind-boggling paradigm. But but they were able to do it anyway. They were able to do it very easily. So yeah, I'm going to be going there to document uh, these these temples, these ancient structures, and connect the dots between the same type of construction techniques used used around the world. Uh, in my new TV series, it's going to be an amazing series. People have to watch it. Anunnaki history is coming very soon. And is that in Petra in Jordan, which was, if I'm not mistaken, they used Petra in Last Crusade, right? Uh, Indiana yeah. Jones and Last Crusade when they go in to go get the uh, the Holy Grail, um, yeah. <laughs> that is Petra. So for everybody mm -hmm. listening, that's what Petra is. That also is carved out of a mountain, right? Yes, correct. Carved out of a mountain. Again, you cannot be off one millimeter when you start your first cut, and you have to have precision because the most important thing about you said these places, these these structures have rooms and openings. So now you have to really understand the material that you're working with. And you have to understand uh, uh, gravity, weight, and stressors. You have to understand this because if you don't, now you're at a risk of collapse. So you really have to have advanced construction knowledge and, and advanced knowledge of the material you're working on. How much weight and pressure can a particular beam handle? How much weight is dispersed over the, over the, over the area of a particular amount of mass when you create an opening? All of this has to be like calculated, otherwise it will collapse. And you've done it for nothing. So, oh man, it's, it's it's insane. And then also, where did the rock go? Where did the rock go? Because <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, where did the rock go? Like they pulled all, and this is like you said, yeah. there's a complex of this. So, arguably, mm -hmm. let's say they did it with the techniques that we have today, which would be insane. Yeah. You basically would have to have thousands of Michelangelo's running around carving yeah. perfectly all the time. <laughs> right. Where did the rock go? That that mass amount of rock. They didn't ship it somewhere. It is non-existent yeah. anywhere within hundreds of miles of those areas because right. the rocks would have had to have been, they didn't pulverize them to dirt. And if they did, that's yeah. impressive. <laughs> but, right. where, but where's the, like, where are the rocks? So I was, when that's I was in crazy. the, when I was in the catacombs in Naples, you're talking mm -hmm. about, cause it's underground. And it's, I think it was Roman, they started off Roman and like it, it, it had multiple generations of people trying to like build upon them. And you look inside, it's beautiful, but it's very crude. 
I mean, nothing is perfect. Yeah. There's just holes where bodies were going. The roof is like, you know, mm-hmm. more natural. It's not like perfect. It's yeah. very crude. And that's what we're talking about a thousand to twelve hundred years ago. Extremely mm-hmm. crude kind of technology yeah. to build this stuff. That was literally somebody just going in and just chiseling stuff out. And I'm right. I'd assume that there might have even been a little bit of opening there to begin with. If there was a cave down there anyway, and they started building of off course. of that. Yeah, because it's not like a rock. Yeah. Like, so what they're what we're talking about is I just can't even understand how they even begin to do it. What what do you in yeah. your wildest dreams, how do you think it was mm-hmm. it was done? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, I think that they've discovered a way to maybe even compress atoms to the point where they can remove empty space in between atoms. And so imagine if you, of course, we know that atoms are 99.999% empty space. And so to give you an idea what that means, I can take all 8 billion people on Earth and remove the empty space within their atoms. I can fit everyone into one sugar cube. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how empty space is in between atoms. Now, imagine you have the capability of removing the empty space in the atoms in those stones and those rocks, where instead of having to excavate billions of tons of rocks or hundreds of thousands of tons of st- rocks, you now just remove the empty space in their atoms and you smash them down into absolute tiny particles of dust that are still going to be heavy because the mass will still be there, but the size will be very much smaller. And then you can use some other type of advanced technology to move them out of there or maybe just leave them there. Who knows? But that's that may be one way that they did it. They have some type of a super sophisticated laser guided cutting tool, which is already set in some type of a program that's already in some type of a computing system that has a, a pre-done layout or schematic uh, diagram, a blueprint for this carving and this cutting. And it goes in as some type of a machine that goes in and does all this incredible work. Uh, and then everything else is just, the excavation is just collapsed into, you know, particles. Heavy, heavy, heavy particles, but still particles nonetheless. That's that's how I think they possibly have done it. I think that might be even the future of waste management. Imagine instead of having piles and piles of garbage, you just utilize the capability of removing the empty space in the atoms, and you can turn 100,000 tons of garbage into a couple of crumbs. So it's almost like a 3D printing technology, but not printing, carving, a 3D carving technology almost. Right, right, where, exactly, exactly. Where they're building yeah. it out. That's, that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, though, how do you think that this technology or th- these temples in India, because you're doing this show, these temples and, and sites in India are connected to the pyramids, to Petra and these other, and, and even Mesoamerica. Yeah. One of the biggest connections you can make with the, the, the temples and located in India and literally all around the world, when you look at the Earth's magnetic field grid, the map that they show you of where the, all the, the, the magnetic field whips out of the Earth mm-hmm. and creates the magnetosphere, you'll find that in the places where a lot of these magnetic fields come out of the earth and you overlay another map on top that shows you where a lot of the temples and pyramids are located, all of a sudden you find that like 90% of them are on top of these magnetic fields. So they're connected by this magnetism. Somehow they know or they knew where these magnetic fields were and they harnessed the power, the natural power of the earth itself 
in the construction process. So in some way, it was so important that they harness the magnetic field, potentially to find a way to reverse the spin of the atom, to maybe reduce gravity of some of the stones. There's something where these magnetic fields worked along with their technology, which we don't have access to, which is now long gone. But I think their technology worked along with Earth's magnetic field because you have these super megalithic structures directly on top of them. Even look at Lebanon at Baalbek. I mean, you have super megalithic stones up on top of other megalithic stones. And the only way to do it is some type of anti-gravity or materialization technique, but again, directly on top of a huge magnetic field. So those Indian, those the, the pyramids in India are connected to the others by magnetic fields. Now I have to ask you this because this is something else I I observed when I was in France and when I was in Italy is in almost every city I went to there was an Egyptian obelisk in the center of town. And I'm not talking I mean yeah. in the Vatican there's one in Rome there's one there's many in Rome uh I went to Bologna there was one in Bologna there was one in Modena like you just start and I'm like in France I was just driving around Paris there's one, I'm just in the why are there Egyptian obelisks everywhere? And we even have an obelisk, which is uh, the great one in um, uh, Washington Monument, is a giant obelisk yeah. in our major city. What is it mm -hmm. about these things that are there? They're, the obelisks are remnants of an ancient golden age that existed where a lot of wisdom and knowledge uh, from the brick masons was passed down. And they are well aware of this. And a lot of the knowledge that was passed down from the purpose and use of the obelisk, all the additional construction in those ancient cities was passed down to brick masons over generations. And those people ended up becoming parts of governments that and that they were overseeing construction for new cities and so forth. And so it's a paying oath to the to the ancient brick masons and the knowledge and wisdom that they've shared and, and saved and, he and held back from the general public over the years. The actual obelisks were wireless receivers for wireless electricity and even frequencies for sound. And so the Great Pyramid, for example, would generate this wireless electricity, which, which would shoot up out of the apex. The obelisks, they're all crystal granite. They would capture this ambient electricity from the atmosphere. And then if you had something called a jed, which you see all over Egypt, and even in some other cultures like in Afghanistan, you can find the jed etched into stone as well. Uh, and also in um, Turkey, what happens is this jet would capture this ambient electricity. It looks like a Tesla coil. And then it, there's a cord coming out of it, which connect to their gold electroplating devices. We know they had electricity and they use them with the jet because depictions of it are all over Egypt. And the gold plating is all over Egypt from ancient times. So we know they use electric gold plating. So it's not even a mystery. Of course, they had light bulbs which are etched into stone in the crypt located under, underneath the Temple of Dendera and a few other places as well. So they had, the, but they all, all of, the, of those depictions are connected to a jet. The jet would receive wireless electricity uh, from these obelisks. So these obelisks were pillars of, um, of, of power. And so they have now taken that as an archetype and a metaphor to put that in their locations and say, hey, we have power because that's what they did in ancient times. They're showcasing their power. If you look at Teotihuacan in Mexico, the, the, the pyramid complex there, which mimics identical to Giza Plateau in Africa and Egypt, you find out that you take a map of Rome's courtyard and overlay it over Teotihuacan, 
it's a perfect match. The courtyard is a perfect match to the courtyard of Teotihuacan right up until you get to close to the pyramid of the moon, the pyramid of the sun is behind it. And so then you have the obelisk directly in the center. So even the uh, Roman, uh, the, uh, the the Vatican, they've mimicked even the courtyard of Teotihuacan located all, all the way in Mexico, and they put an obelisk dead center. So they know what they're doing. They're just, they're, they're paying oath to tribute to the ancient past and the ancient knowledge of the brick masons and they're showcasing these obelisks as a symbol of power. Interesting. Very interesting. And another thing that was interesting is as doing some more research into the Great Pyramid, not only have they never found any um, hieroglyphs in the Great Pyramid, so the whole tomb thing is a ridiculous idea that has perpetrated from a couple of white guys from the 1800s who said, this must be this must be where the, the tomb, but even though they've never found anybody dead there or any any hieroglyphs. I don't know about you, if I would have built a pyramid the Egyptians were, uh, they love talking about their stuff and their hieroglyphs are everywhere, but yet in the, in the pyramids, none. So that's interesting. But I was, I was looking at the other day is inside the pyramids, how did they light while they worked inside the pyramids? Because there is no fire soot remnants. like there are in other temples that they, you could obviously see that they use fire to light the way. There's nothing like that in the Great Pyramid, correct? Nothing like that. As a matter of fact, even in the other temples, the fire and soot you see, that came from the Coptic Christians long after, the ones that were hiding from the Romans. They mm-hmm. were hiding from Romans. So if you go back prior, because they've been doing a, a reclamation project to clean up a lot of that soot, when you when they clean it off, you discover that in ancient times when that stuff was originally built, they didn't even have soot then. So they were actually using light bulbs in all these ancient temples and in the Great Pyramid, of course, there's no evidence of any soot whatsoever. So we know that they had harnessed the power of electricity. The Great Pyramid itself is built on a base of magnetized crystal granite. Now, when the Nile used to run up close to the pyramid complex in ancient times, that water would be, was channeled into these aquifers directly underneath the Great Pyramid. When you have running water moving underneath magnetized crystal granite, you create something called physiostatic electricity. The ions would then push up in through the granite, up into the chamber. Some of the water would push down into the queen's chamber, which was an electrolysis device which extracted hydrogen atoms. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The rest of the ions would get pushed up through the grand gallery where there were resonating rods and slots are still there for those rods to push it up into the king's chamber. The king's chamber is magnetized crystal granite, a gigantic block wall with a two to one ratio on the inside. Mm-hmm. And in that room is a stone box, which they were claiming as a sarcophagus. I can't even fit in that box, okay? If I <laughs> right. get in that box, my knees have to be bent. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's not a sarcophagus, but that box is the same exact dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. That's what sat in that box. And that mm-hmm. would step the power up one more level and send the energy through uh, the top uh, plank of uh, uh, stop top of that, that stone, which was a crystal granite uh, uh, top, and it would go up through the apex, which was gold, and that would send wireless electricity out into the atmosphere, then to be captured by the obelisk. And so the other part, the queen's chamber, would extract the hydrogen atoms from the water and then mm-hmm. shoot the hydrogen beams through the shafts that were pointed at star systems. 
Aldebron, Sirius, mm-hmm. uh, Orion, and so forth on different alignments. Why hydrogen? How do we communicate with, how do we try to communicate with aliens today? We transmit information piggybacked on the hydrogen frequency. Why do we do that? Because hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. And so that's how we feel that we can communicate with ET. Well, they were already doing this in the ancient past. And why were they doing it? Because on specific alignments with those shafts, they were sending information and updates about the breakaway civilization here on Earth directly through the pyramid shafts. So the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, was a multifunctional stone computer and also a power generator. If if in today's world, um, if everybody left the planet today and a tribe found a cell tower and it is the it is the biggest thing for 200 miles and they go well, what do you think this was for what do you think these people used it for if we told you oh it's well we bounced you know the thing we talked on the phone and there's this thing and we come oh we also did internet what's the internet it seems insane to somebody so what you're saying could sound insane but yet try to explain a cell tower or an electricity grid to mm-hmm. a bushman who has never exactly. experienced any of this it's not yeah. as far-fetched you know it's all we're all look they're all hypotheses you don't know exactly if that happened because you weren't there but exactly. this is what we're trying to do we're trying to figure things out everyone's trying to figure things out what happened yeah. back in the day now, there's another thing i discovered uh in my in my journeys which is have you heard of the labyrinth in egypt there's supposedly um, a giant underground labyrinth in Egypt that they yes that was supposed to be like there's talks about it there's history about it that people would go down underneath mm-hmm. it it was supposedly a massive underground yeah. thing and they found some mm-hmm. remnants of it uh, I don't know where in Egypt but they've started to find some of it but it was massive do you know a little bit about that I wrote about it in my book Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Okay. And so this huge underground labyrinth exists exactly where Thoth the Atlanteans said it did. It starts actually underneath the Great Pyramid and it spreads out for miles underneath the Giza Plateau. It goes on for miles. And some of those tunnels go all the way from Giza all the way to the Pyramid of Ur, the Ziggurat of Ur in Iraq. You can go from Giza to Iraq underground. Okay. This labyrinth is massive, and in order to build it and know where you're going, you have to have some idea or concept of, uh, from an aerial view of mapping and understanding angles and degrees, uh, and, and of course, again, knowing the material so you don't so you can prevent a collapse. But he calls it the beginning part of this labyrinth is called the Halls of Amenti, just one of many Halls of Amenti that actually exist, and they discovered these halls that connect to this labyrinth. Uh, years ago, which I, I have, a, they have a sketched image of them, and I have it in my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablet. So, this has been, this has existed for eons. This, this underground labyrinth of, of passageways and tunnels that lead out. I mean, for miles and miles, it's incredible. Underneath the sands of Giza. Is this? Is do you think that these were built after the youngest, the younger Dryas? Uh, collapse of or the collapse of Atlantis and whoever started to build this, they're like, it, look, we can't have this happen again. So let's build this underground city. So if something does happen up top, at least we have a fighting chance underneath. Is that what do you think that's yeah. what the case? Oh, no doubt. I believe it definitely was built uh, after the Younger Dryas. They may have even knew the Younger Dryas, or they may have knew, known about this 
pre-knowledge of this strike, this asteroid strike that was going to come and hit and uh, and just and create a type of a, uh, a catastrophe, an extinction level event was coming and may have started building these underground tunnels from then. Because all of a sudden in Turkey, around the same time frame, you have Darren Kuyu, 30,000 people underground, 14,000 ventilation right. shafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have other areas throughout Turkey going all the way down into the Middle East where the people have built these underground shelters that can hold thousands of people underground with ventilation shafts all over the place. You have the labyrinth underneath Giza that goes out for miles and miles where a person can literally travel from one place to the other without ever coming above ground. And then in the Americas, you have the, the story from the uh, indigenous tribes of the Americas about these people who took them into these underground caverns to hide from uh, something. They never specified exactly what it was, but to hide from something and it saved their lives. So it must have been a part of this catastrophe that happened. But all of a sudden, all around the world, around the same time, on, on several continents, you can see that people were going underground, almost a foreknowledge of this global catastrophic, uh, catastrophic event coming. The What are the materials that they're using uh, under underneath the, in this underground uh, complex in Egypt? Is it what kind of materials were they, were they carving out there? It's the stone that's already down there. So whatever that sandstone or whatever's down there, they understood it. They know how to. And what's interesting is when you look at some of like, if you go into the Serapium, which I call Anki's Halls of Amenti, mm -hmm. right? That's underground in Saqqara. When you see the perfect archways that are carved out and the alcoves that are carved out, again, this is almost like Kailash. Whatever they did, they knew how to cut this stone in a certain way where they almost vitrified it as they cut. So as they're cutting this tunnel underground, they're vitrifying it at the same time with high levels of heat, which re which reduces the amount of extraction of mass and brick and rock that need to be taken out because you're actually searing and burning it as you bore through at the same time. And it makes these perfect cuts, which are evident at the uh, Serapium in Saqqara. So I think they utilize the same exact technique. They look like giant halls. And when you go and look at the image that was uh, sketched from the one that was discovered under Giza, gigantic halls, perfectly arched underground with the existing rock that's already there. The the idea of a lot of a lot of people talk about the ideas of these. Oh, the, you know, they moved these giant twenty ton, forty ton, sixty ton uh, monolithic struck you know blocks using horses or using people and using things and it, it, it's laughable it is laughable but you could argue it but once you get to these obelisks that were 120 150 tons wood doesn't work anymore it just it just doesn't no. it can't it can't you can't move those things anymore at that point with wood and pulleys it, it it's just not capable of being done anymore so yeah i've looked i've also studied the other these these um kind of like these uh, junkyards of <laughs> of like obelisks that never left uh out of the ground yeah. and big chunks of other things that just didn't make it but the drill marks mm -hmm. and the tool marks yes. and are so precise they look like something that we have Today, in 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 some areas, you just like I don't even know if we had something like this. Per you could even see where the like the <laughs> the granite or the rock is cut, and they're like, "Oops!" And they pull back out, and there's like a an oh, I sorry, I, I cut the wrong area. What do you what do you think about yep. that? Oh, they had high tech tools back then that were capable of cutting solid granite, 
Uh, and they had some type of laser etching tool to etch all the hieroglyphs on them as well, because everyone is, ex is, is extremely exquisite and perfect. Like there's no, oh, my accidentally, they're perfect. And then the story that they want to tell you is that they took this, you know, 10 ton thing and they dumped it on the back of a boat and took it down the now. No, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They utilize some form of levitation or anti-gravity or something that helped to reduce the weight of the object. And what's interesting is, so every time I travel to these places, I take an old-fashioned compass. And when you get up to certain areas of the stone, all of a sudden, the needle starts to move. You're like, well, why is the needle moving? Why isn't the needle? I'm not changing my direction. But when I get close to this stone, the needle starts to move. There's something has been done to the atoms in this stone to reverse the polarity. And so they have had they had to have some type of a whether it was a frequency technology, a magnetic mm. technology, in some way they altered the atomic structure in the stone, possibly hypothesis to get them to be lighter, to be able to maneuver them around, maybe not completely weightless, but in some way that allowed them to move them without breaking them all over the place. I've heard you talk in other conversations about the healing properties of the temples of Egypt. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Listen, there's a temple there, which we're trying to find. I saw it in 2014, and we haven't been able to get the name, but there's many of them that you can go to. When you walk through these particular hallways, they're very narrow hallways with gigantic megalithic crystal granite on both sides. And as you walk through these hallways, you touch the walls with both hands as you walk down the hallway. People will be lined up behind you doing the same thing, and you would be treated by electromagnetism into your body from these gigantic slabs, these megalithic slabs of granite, magnetized crystal granite. Uh, and in one of these locations, so many people had gone down that hallway with their hands and their fingertips on the walls to the point where it, you can see the grooves of fingers in solid granite. That's how many thousands of, over thousands of years have walked down these hallways. So I'm looking forward to finding that exact location where the most impressive one was located when I go in October and documenting it and filming it and getting bringing back all that knowledge and information to the people when I get back in, in, in the end of October. That's this, fantastic. Well, thank you for doing that work, my yeah. friend. I mean, it, it's, oh, it's, thank you. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. And you were saying uh, a second ago about the perfection of some of these carvings uh, in these statues and, and in the, in the Vatican museum, I saw some large, fairly large Egyptian statues like where the the pharaoh's face and stuff and it's carved out of i don't know it's black it was a black stone which i heard was even harder than granite it's like some on the hardness scale it's like nine diamonds are ten it's like at a nine yeah probably and, diorite or andesite yeah something like that it was it was the black it was the black stone and mm. the the face of these are so perfectly balanced yeah. They look like literally identical left to the right. You can interchange them. It looks like a complete mirror. That isn't capable of being done by hand. Even Michelangelo couldn't do that. It's just the, the level of precision there. It's mathematical. We're talking about mm -hmm. centimeters and smaller than centimeters on both. So it looks like it's something you could cut it in half and it's a mirror of yeah. itself. 
How mm. could anyone even yeah. conceive to think that that was done by hand? And you look at the work, you just like yeah. the, the the way the the dress or the whatever they were wearing, the skirts or the um, the, the the adorning the, the the things that they were wearing, so much detail. Yeah. So yeah. how man? How you know? And, it's, and again, it's so, it's so exquisite when you. No, no, no. And, and but the thing again. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say you can only hypothesize that you know a couple ways. One, obviously, is some type of a a laser guided tool that was already had a computer program in it to etch a specific face. If it's not a laser, maybe it's something similar to a laser. Mm -hmm. Or could it also be a special technique that they use to melt rock and make it molten without destroying the fundamental basis or the chemical compound of it and then put it into a mold, let it let it cure, and then, boom, you pop it out of the mold, and now here you have it, right? So there's a couple different, uh, you know, we could throw around different hypotheses, but we know for a fact it definitely wasn't done by hand. Yeah, because I mean, again, you know, seeing all of these masterworks by uh, Michelangelo and Da Vinci and, and all, you start seeing the the work, the craftsmanship of all of these Renaissance yep. sculptors. They're stunning work, man. I mean, it's yep. it is remarkable work, but you're, they're not perfect. They're not meant to be perfect. It's it, it, exactly. It is, it's not meant to be this kind of almost computer esque style of sculpture it's a more naturalistic sculpture like you know you and i don't have perfectly symmetrical faces your eye the left eye is right. not exactly where your right eye is. none of no very few people do um so it's it's not perfect nature is not like that so to to yeah. show that and these things are remarkable uh one last question because i know you got to go and i got thousands of questions and you and i could talk for hours and hours brother i heard somewhere that and is let me know is Shakespeare connected to uh, the 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 pyramids of Giza in one way, shape, or form yeah. with his work? Have you heard anything about that? I've heard about it, but I never really dug into it deeply. Uh, that's something an additional thing for me to look into a research. I haven't dug into his information uh, quite as deeply with that connection to find out exactly specifically what it was. Um, it would be very interesting to find out though, because I mean, obviously he's. Um, he he came about year, thousands of years after uh, the pyramids and so forth. So I've got to really look into it, though. And then how about um, Da Vinci? Da Vinci's artwork. How is it connected? Right. Is there a connection to ancient Egypt's wisdom? And, and yeah. I mean, because obviously well, da, da Vinci, Vinci encoded, encoded everything. <laughs> oh, he encoded everything. This guy was an absolute. He might be an alien. <laughs> I mean, he was at a whole other level. Man, another level. He was so far ahead of his time. He had maybe he came from the future. I don't know. But uh, when you look at the Vitruvian man and some of the drawings and sketchings that he's done, it lays out a perfect the Vitruvian man. For example, when you circle the square and you create a flower of life pattern inside of there, you get the dimensions of the Great Pyramid at Giza. But not only that, you begin to get the dimensions and angles of most of the pyramids around the entire planet. And where the lines intersect and cross for the Vesica Pisces, you then know if you make it into a global scale, you scale up to a global size, that one image, all of a sudden you start to find temples and pyramids, even in, across the oceans where some things, cities have sunk and so forth. You find remnants of civilizations on that grid. So it's pretty crazy. You can extract that directly from the Vitruvian man. So it's, it's just like mind blowing the connection. I don't think it's a coincidence. And then let's not even get into the the paintings of like the Last Supper and 
Um, and, yeah. and just the, 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 you look at the last supper, the, um, the perfection in the art mm-hmm. and how the angles all, you're just like, he's at a completely other level. I did get to see the Mona Lisa for five seconds before the crowd was insane mm-hmm. there. Um, by the yeah. way, the Louvre, the Louvre, the worst museum mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I can't stand the loop. It's like you can't yeah. see anything. It's 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 insane. Yeah. It's it's horrible. Yeah. But I did get to see it's the Mona Lisa. Nice right, absolutely not. But the Mona Lisa, you see there, you're like, okay, I see, I see what the hoopla is about. You know, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. There's something there. I don't know what it is. The mm-hmm. perfection of it is. It's a pretty remarkable piece, yeah. without question. Yep, it sure is. Yeah. So, so Billy, tell yeah. me where um uh where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Well, please go to forbiddenknowledge.com with the number four. When you see me do this, it's not a gang sign. It's my <laughs> four for forbidden knowledge, okay? Some people you got to explain. West Saeed. <laughs> yeah, all right. West <laughs> Saeed. Guys, four, forbidden knowledge. Yeah. So forbiddenknowledge.com. Of course, get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on your app store. Any app store, Samsung TV, Apple TV, Roku, iOS, Google Play. Uh, Amazon Fire TV, the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on your app store. So five-star app on every platform. Uh, so we really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Get a seven a seven-day free trial and watch the Forbidden Conscious Awards we just had in Miami, Florida. And do you have any party messages for the audience, Billy? I would just say keep continue to keep researching, digging, and asking questions. Uh, you know, don't take anything for face value, even the things that you hear me say. Just go and start looking them up for yourself. Write down keywords in my statements and my comments and go start digging and looking and researching and become your own researcher and begin to learn how to answer your own questions. Billy, I appreciate you and the work you're doing in the world. We will have another another session coming soon, man, because I love talking to you, brother. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I want to thank Billy so much for coming back on the show and sharing all of his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 317. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.